carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Today's episode is another instalment in our Top of Your TBR series, where we ask the people we admire to share four of their ultimate reading recommendations. Today's guest is the wonderful Sherry Jones. Sherry Jones is a writer and lawyer from Barbados. Sherry is a graduate of the MA Writing Programme at Sheffield Hallam University, where she won both the Archie Markham Award and the AM Heath Prize. Her short stories have been broadcast on BBC Radio 4 and published in Hank, Cadenza and Eclectica. Her debut novel, How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House, was shortlisted the Women's Prize for Fiction in 2021. And we are so thrilled to have Cherie with us today. So Cherie, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Thank you so much. I am absolutely over the moon to be here. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here today. Oh, you're very welcome. We're happy you're here. (laughs) Now, what we like to ask, first of all, and our bookends will know this, is the most important question of the whole podcast. I'm sorry, but it is, Hannah. Okay. (laughs) And that is, what are you currently reading? So currently I am reading Happening, a book called Happening. It's a very slim book by Annie Arnaud. And this is the first book that I've read of hers. And it has me just on the edge of my seat, just sort of, it's a very personal book. It's about a woman who becomes pregnant and decides not to continue the pregnancy. But the way that it's written is so so profound so moving and there are parts of it where literally I've just found myself gripping the edge of my chair as I read it so it's fantastic yes that's what I'm reading straight to my list (laughs) (laughs) and it's it's so rare that we get to hear stories of of women choosing not to continue Mm -hmm. a pregnancy I think that's a really important uh, story to be told Um, absolutely yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and she's known for for writing stories about the personal. And I think that's something that for a long time in literature was not regarded as being very, you know, profound. It's absolutely the opposite as far as I'm concerned. And and this book really demonstrates that for me in a very personal and a very, very moving way. So Mm -hmm. I can't recommend it enough. It's a wonderful book. I'm going to be ordering that straight after this. So before we get into your picks for our Top of the TBR series, uh, we would love to chat about your debut novel, which was, of course, published early last year. But yeah. I was very late to the game. Too late. Too late. <laughs> Lydia's not impressed. I was bent in her ear for too long. She was practically hitting me around the head with your book. Oh, like, that's... <laughs> Yay, Lydia. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say I'm... I did use it as a weapon. but I mean thank god she did because it is an incredible book and you know it's rightfully received much acclaim at which point did you realize that your book had taken off and what was the experience like for you as a debut author oh my gosh the experience I describe it as a roller coaster and it's kind of the one that you're on when it's you know when the roller coaster is just climbing and you just don't want it to stop there's this feeling of euphoria, disbelief, is surreal. I still pinch myself sometimes. I just can't believe it. This is something that was a dream of mine for over 20 years to be able to publish 
internationally. So I'm one of the writers who was kind of slogging away between the day job and all the other things I have to do, what, you know, real life. Yeah. Um, and it took a while. So yeah, it's absolutely a dream come true for me. I still don't know if, if I feel like the book has made it. I just feel like this story has traveled so far. I'm so happy that it has a strong pair of legs yeah. and it just keeps running. And I don't think we've really sort of arrived yet. I don't know if it ever will, but the response that I've had from the public, you know, from readers the world over has just been so gratifying. These characters were in my head for a long time. Mm -hmm. So to have that world shared with other people and to have people willingly participate and feel these characters and enjoy the story it just means the world to me amazing it's i mean it's an incredible it really incredible is novel. it, really, it is. really is and i think you know you saying that will be so inspiring to so many writers keep going yeah <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, you know, I sort of was the person who was writing. And then I'd read an article about like a 17 year old who got this huge book deal, you know, based on part of a manuscript. And I yeah. would just be, you know, amazed, but just mm -hmm. sort of feel like, okay, so, you know, when is my sort of dream come true going to happen? Yeah. And I had to step back from that and redefine success for me mm -hmm. in that regard and it's so ironic that it's when I kind of just accepted my journey for what it was that that's mm -hmm. when it, when it happened that's when I got the book deal and things started to to happen from there yeah. I feel like that's quite a common theme actually with a lot of people like we, we're both actors and a lot of time when you start sort of looking for stuff it yes. tends to come to you yeah absolutely a lot of the time yes. I found that I think for most creatives it's sort of like you have to remind yourself like why you do what you do mm -hmm. and it really isn't for the recognition the recognition mm -hmm. is validating but it's not central to who you are as a creative. It's not central to what you're about. And I think I had to remind myself of that for a few, you know, on a few occasions um, when I felt a little bit like things weren't going the way that, that I'd hoped mm -hmm. or dreamed. So yeah, you know, that's most writers... Um, that I meet now who haven't yet published and who have that as an objective because not everybody does you know I kind of share that aspect of my journey because I think it's really important for people to understand and appreciate yeah absolutely, absolutely. I love how we're both like yes yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now um, what else yeah. is there it does it does tackle those darker elements and those kind of more difficult subject matters, such as, you know, domestic violence, grief, loss. What do you kind of draws you to those subjects and what kind mm. of made you want to, to center them in the novel? Yeah, so, you know, this is a, a very personal book for me in more ways than one. I was kind of the very bookish um, kid, very voracious reader. And there were these particular books written by, by West Indian authors, male authors, that I started reading at a very young age and I would return to over time. So over the years, as I grew into myself, you know, as a Caribbean woman writer of color, I would come back to these stories. And it was so fascinating to me that when I came back 
I'd see the story differently each time. And at one book was uh, The Hills Were Joyful Together by Roger Mayes. And the other was Miguel Street by V.S. Naipaul. And both of those books deal with domestic violence in the Caribbean, gender-based violence, and specifically violence against women. And one of them has this, um, The Hills Were Joyful Together, has some pretty graphic uh, depictions of of violence against women. And, you know, the first time I read it, I was sort of, you know, there was this kind of horror about, but I read it and I sort of more aware of gender-based violence in my own community. And then, um, you know, coming back to those books and reading them was almost painful, you know, in part. So when I received this story of the one-armed sister, when, when the inspiration for that story came to me, I kind of made up in my mind that I was going to approach this theme a little differently from I had read. So yeah, it it just seems to be, it's something that really is unfortunately a scourge in the Caribbean. We've had a former UN, United Nations Commissioner for Human Rights, come to the Caribbean and say, you know, gender-based violence is a global issue. It's something that happens all over the world, but that it's particularly prevalent in the Caribbean. And she actually said that. And from my observation, that's true. And I was really curious about about why. And when I'm things that I had observed and these books that I had read and how violence against women was was talked about in these books, how how that element was woven into the story, I became really intrigued about how I would represent violence in my own novel. So yeah, it's pretty dark themes, but that's that's how it came about. Yeah. yeah. You know, dark themes, but beautifully explored. You oh, know? Yeah. And, you know, one of the, I read an interview that you did with Hatchet and um, they asked you to describe your book in three words. And you said survival is triumph, which yes. I love. Um, and I think yeah. you definitely get a sense of that. You know, yeah. whilst it does explore dark themes, there's a definite yeah. sense of hope and survival yeah. in there. Yeah. How did survival come to be such a, a central theme in the book? Yeah, you know, I think because it's something that, again, Again, I saw all around me. I mean, when you think about a character like Wilma, for example, who is one half of what is essentially a child marriage, um, and she is actually also a victim of violence in her own right. Um, And that's not how we look at her in the novel. We look at her more as, you know, Lala's grandmother. Lala is is the main character for those of us who might not have read the book as yet. And I think we look at Wilma in relation to how she deals with Lala. And perhaps when we look at her in that light, there isn't a lot of praise for her and how she deals with Lala based on what Lala has gone through. But Wilma herself is a survivor. And I think just the fact of her survival is a triumph in its own right. So I think a lot of women in this novel and in the Caribbean and in the world are dealing or have dealt with some traumatic experiences. And I think we need to start to appreciate that just being able to survive the experience is a triumph in itself, it's a victory. And I became more sensitive to that the more I looked around me. So it was really important for me that that be clear with the character in how the one-armed sister sweeps her up. And I think, I mean, we've touched on this before, um, but we think of like Barbados and and the Caribbean Mm -hmm. as kind of Mm -hmm. idyllic 
place to live and you know yes we dream of (laughs) as westerners you know we dream of of these beautiful beaches and endless sunny days and you know and and we do have this romanticized version in our heads of what Mm -hmm. it is actually like and I think this novel your novel particularly explores the kind of darker more realistic side of of life mm-hmm. in in a beautiful way how, how much did you want to include that kind of realism you know mm-hmm. that darker side of a place that we mm-hmm. we you know hold mm-hmm. on so the, the first thing I would want to say is that Barbados you know we are all that we mm-hmm. are sort of the brilliant sunshine <laughs> and the hammock on the pink sand <laughs> beach and frothy drinks with little paper umbrellas <laughs> made in China, but still. <laughs> um, and the coconut trees and all that. We are that, but we also have a lot of the same social issues and yeah. that other countries have. There is that sort of dark underbelly as there is anywhere in the world. And for me, this side of Barbados that I chose to portray had everything to do with the story. And, you know, I often say with my writing, the only thing that I'm loyal to, if I if I go through my process and I do it well, um, the only thing that I'm loyal to in the end is the story. And that darker side of life in Barbados is the side of life that these characters experience. So that is not to say that there isn't a a very beautiful, sort of very leisurely laid back and even luxurious side of Barbados, but that wasn't the side experienced by the characters in this story. So I had to be really ruthless about what made it into that story because I had to be true to Barbados as experienced by Lala, as experienced by Tone and Aiden and the Queen of Sheba. Um, so in the end, that's that's the side that came out a lot in the novel because yeah. that is true to that is the authentic experience mm-hmm. for these characters. So really, what what determines which side of the island um, goes into any of my stories and and went into this novel is just what the characters' experiences, what what the story requires. Yeah, <laughs> we're just like in awe. Yeah, right, right. Awesome. go on. It's like, <laughs> I can listen to you if all you day. Ask a question. I'm still talking. Anyway. No, I could listen to you all day. Stop speaking and like carry on. Carry on. Yeah. The wisdom of Sheree. That's what we're gonna title. <laughs> so the the title, how the one on sister sweeps her house, which is an epic title. I I love that title. Um is it's linked to the cautionary folktale, which is almost like a centerpiece in the novel. And and like the folktale is passed on through the generations in the book. So is a sort of shared trauma. But what power does Caribbean folklore hold in this story for you? Mm, it's so central to this story and what it is about. Mm-hmm. I mean, storytelling and particularly the oral tradition is very much a part of life in the Caribbean. I mean, I grew up sort of 
having that same experience that Lala has when the older members of the community warn you away from certain aspects of or certain types of behavior or transfer conventional wisdom through mm -hmm. storytelling. So for me, when I was younger, I remember it was don't go outside after dark because the grease man could get you. <laughs> They're fine. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> and it's like just just trying to think was horrible in itself. So yeah. you know, usually these tales would accomplish, you know, the objective of scaring you into behaving, and that's really what this story, what one that is generally told. But also, I wanted to show a little bit of how these stories differ for boys and girls. So for me growing up, for example, that story about possibly being, you know, being captured by the grease man would be a story that would be more told to girls, mm -hmm. young girls, than it would be for boys. Mm -hmm. So there's some interesting, um, even our approaches to gender, um, gender performance transferred in that sort of conventional wisdom. And that was something I wanted to explore a little bit um, in the novel. So it felt it was very important for me to have that tale in there. And also, I kind of wanted to show, you know, Lala is pretty badass. And yeah. <laughs> when she's a teenager, she's like, well, you know, so if I go in and, you know, the monster gets me, I can still get a husband and I can still have a couple children I can still get a house so so the 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 tale doesn't really accomplish the objective at you know because she's like so what I get a monster I escape from the monster life goes on I can still do stuff you know and her grandmother <laughs> yeah and then her grandmother kind of says stupid girl you know how are you going to sweep it and it ends there and that tale is also about parameters that we sort of put in place for women in Caribbean society, we sort of very much restrict women um, on the basis of the domestic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the ability to sweep a house and to keep a clean house when I was growing up was a real thing. Mm -hmm. Like you had to be able to, a, a girl who could not sweep, that was like a real problem. <laughs> um, and the older women would, would say that, you know, and I was kind of the one who was like, ah, sweeping, not sweeping, not a big deal. <laughs> so um, it's also, I think that tale is also about sort of being able to question those parameters for women and think about how, you know, those sorts of tales contribute um, to our attitudes and approaches to gender-based violence, because I, I don't think we often make that connection, yeah. and it very much is there. Yeah. yeah definitely. Now, I mean, I could sit here and talk about uh, your book, <laughs> about what I'm sister, literally all night, and I've got a feeling that Hannah is going to kick me in the ribs. <laughs> I'm just, I actually would just talk about that and forget what we're here for. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, the reason why we've got you here is for your top of your TBR choices. And it is yes. an eclectic and very exciting mix mm. of books that you've picked for us. Yes. Um, and yes. we were both kind of, when we first got it, we're like, what? <laughs> and it has it's been such a wonderful experience yeah. being able to discover these oh, novels. Yes. Um, so yes. your first 
hit is Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Yes. Um, so can you tell us why you picked this book? Oh my gosh. I love Piranesi because first of all, it's just masterful storytelling. What I, what I loved about this book is it appears to weave an alternative universe, but your, the reader's ability to engage with this universe to me proves the thesis of the novel. So that's a, maybe that's a a pretty sort of complicated, not very clear way of saying, you know, the theme of this book for me was how our minds can help us to process trauma Mm -hmm. and how the creation of this alternative universe can almost be a balm, um, you know, a gift of sorts. And I am personally in my writing, I'm fascinated by um, themes of lunacy and, you know, mental, what we might look at as mental illness um, and how that might actually be a response to trauma. And I just find that in this book, I mean, this, this alternate universe is so meticulously crafted. So this book was one of the finalists for the Women's Prize in the year that my book was also a finalist. And I I made it a point, I did not read the other shortlisted (laughs) books before the ceremony. And then when Susanna won, I thought, okay, I have to read this book. And I picked it up the first time and it was a little tough getting into it. Mm -hmm. Maybe by the end of the second um, chapter, let's say, um, I was just hooked. Yes. And it was just the ability to draw me into this alternative universe was just, it was masterful. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of, you know, tip my hat to her and say, wow, yeah. I wish I could like that. <laughs> so it's, it's an amazing story, um, not only in the crafting, but, but the theme of this story really resonates with me. It's just beautifully told. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I didn't, I had no idea what, in what direction this book was going to pull me in was going to go yeah I just and I think like you said you know it's masterful the way that she's done that yeah yeah because when I started to read it I thought okay like first of all I couldn't understand who the the main character was I couldn't figure out was this a human being was this some sort sort of you know otherworldly creature but just following you know these wonderful halls and and all these statues and figures and I just was trying to figure out my mind was just trying to wrap itself around Mm -hmm. what was actually happening and you know after a while I was fully immersed in this place Mm -hmm. and it was just the my ability then as a reader to get into this imaginary world and to really experience it as the character did and finally to understand it and maybe even to be able to explain it at a point in time where I was so fully sold that, you know, understanding this, the genesis of that universe was probably less important, but it was just, it was masterful. It was breathtaking. I loved every minute of reading that book. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that you chose this because yeah. um, Lydia had already read it. <laughs> Another one that I would be in her over the head with. 
and I hadn't and the reason I hadn't picked it up was I was so convinced I wouldn't like this book yeah and I think yeah. because it slots yeah. into the category of fantasy that's not my yeah. go-to genre so yeah. it, it yeah. did you know I, I came through it with a um what's the word I'm looking for a bit of bias against yeah it. like a bit yeah. of bias yeah, yeah. and 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 I was so wrong. I'll hold my hands up. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. That was the same for me. I sort of thought, okay, this is like a fantasy book. I'm not mm. really into fantasy. And that was, you know, I had that bias going into it. But I really think um, this book is like genre defying. Mm-hmm. To me, this is like, you know, this is just a beautiful story, wonderfully told. Yeah. And that's all it all it is. And that's, you know, that says it all. It just, this was one of the most moving books for me. Like, mm. I'll never forget this one. Yeah, no, it, is, it is unforgettable. And so, yeah. you know, like you just said, like, you're probably similar to me in the sense that you, you wouldn't typically go for a fantasy book. But do you think that no. after reading this now, maybe that's uh, changed your mind <laughs> on fantasy? Well, sort of yes and no. I, I, I sort of, you know, I think that great stories are great stories and Mm. sometimes when we try to reduce a story to a particular genre it can Mm. be off-putting for some people so for me on one hand I'd say yes because I will pick up another book that's expressed to be a fantasy story or a fantasy novel and read it because of what I've learned from this book because of what this book has shown me I think I'm less concerned now with how other people categorize the story um and I just want to see if it's something that resonates with me and that I enjoy so yes I'd have to say I don't think I will be you know I'll be sort of picking up every fantasy (laughs) (laughs) but I think I it certainly made me a lot more open-minded and and more willing to just pick up a story and you know like it or leave it on its own merits and yeah, and yeah. less on what people say it is yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah. absolutely and I mean it took Susanna Clark over 10 years to write this novel yes um, do you do you think that kind of time equals quality when it comes to writing um wow that is an excellent question <laughs> I I think you can't I mean a really really good one <laughs> <laughs> I think you can't help but if you're working on something steadily I you know and polishing that manuscript as you go and you take a number of years it's probably going to be really a well-realized story a fully realized story or a really well-crafted story by the time you're done because you've taken that time and that effort to really get into it and to polish it um But I wouldn't say that that's always the case. I've Mm. written stories. I remember I wrote this flash fiction piece while I was studying, um, while I was doing my Emmy. And I remember it was just because I was working on a longer piece and I had writer's block. And this colleague of mine in class said, well, why don't you try writing some flash? You know, that's what I do to get around writer's block. And I thought, what is flash? I'd never heard of flash fiction. And I wrote this story in like less than an hour, a flash fiction <laughs> piece. And that that was one of the few stories that I've ever written that was 
so close to done when it when it came out when I got it on the page yeah. um, so I don't think that time always equals quality mm. but I think there's a very good chance if you've taken a lot of time on it that it's gonna be that it's gonna be good mm. yeah it is no surprise to me that you are capable of whipping something up in an hour that's <laughs> Of course, yeah. <laughs> Here she is. Yes. Checking out some magic. Okay. Well, I don't know. No, I um that's not that is definitely not always the case. I think for a long time I was that person kind of I, I described it as sort of feeling around in a dark room for the like <laughs> some of my stories and I'd be writing writing and it was you know sort of like tearing things up mm. and you know deleting bits and then being sorry I deleted them I I do do that still sometimes yeah. but um I think I'm getting a little bit better now at understanding what's right and what's wrong and how to get there okay. yeah <laughs> so one thing I wanted to speak about when when I read Piranesi was obviously the character of Piranesi and I think you know Piranesi has a really strong narrative voice and Mm -hmm. you know is the lens through which we see this sort of rich and vivid world come and speak do you feel the character (laughs) of Piranesi totally shapes this story um Uh, I would say definitely you know for me it was like that character was so even though I'd never met any, I don't even want to say any person because at first I genuinely did not think it was a human being. I started off thinking Piranesi is, you know, sort of half horse, half man, something that I couldn't even wrap my mind around. But yet still, there was something about it that was so authentic. We understood that Piranesi had a particular approach to detail, for Mm. example. A lot of detail about just little things, very observant character, a very sort of almost lofty way of speaking and Mm. seeing the world. But this person who is slightly eccentric, slightly offbeat that you've met in real life and you can't help but love and find fascinating. Mm -hmm. And after a while, that in itself compelled me to read on because I wanted to understand what what was happening with this person. So, yes, how Piranesi saw the world was it for me because there was no it was like there was no um, there was no other voice to to sort of compare um, Piranesi's account with. So we had to get fully into seeing this world as Piranesi saw it. And that was, you know, for me, there's this character who comes in very near the end, the female um, Mm -hmm. detective. It was almost like when she came in, it was almost like I had to, it was the other way around. I had to try to understand where she was coming from or what world she was coming from. I was so into the one that yeah. Piranesi had painted for me. So it was it was wonderful. And I think Susanna did an excellent job of making this character um, human mm-hmm. and recognizable in mm-hmm. terms of emotions while still being eccentric and otherworldly. And you couldn't quite grasp Mm. what Piranesi might look like for example for me at the beginning that was that was difficult I was kind of trying to figure out so what does Piranesi actually look like um 
but yeah, it was just, I think those sort of lovable qualities and being able to really feel that character really helped. So definitely Piranesi's view framed the entire world for me. And I, I thought that was a wonderful thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it, it's an incredible novel. If you have not read Piranesi yet, yes. I'm here again to shout at you. <laughs> Yes, you absolutely <laughs> must. I came away, you know, there are books that I've read over the course of my life that I never forget. That's one of those books that mm. I went into that book as one person and I came out of that book as another person. Yeah, absolutely. Like I was changed by that book. Yeah. Um, and that's always a, a sign for me of a really great, really great novel. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. It's always high up on my list of recommendations. Yeah. You know, yeah. like when someone asks you, oh, oh, do you know a good book? Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I, said, I yeah. tell them, don't read anything about it. Just, yeah. just start just it. Don't, it. If you yes. don't know anything yes. about it, otherwise you get preconceived ideas. Yeah. So I could talk about Pronosi all day, but no, there are three <laughs> more choices that you've um, yes. come to us with. So your second choice yes. is When We Were Birds by Ayanna Lloyd Bamwow. Yes. So why oh. has this made your list? Right. So I think what I loved about When We Were Birds, first of all, is um, the way it portrays the magic and the mystery that is Caribbean life. Um, and that is part of our inheritance. You know, it starts with this um, this folk tale being communicated from Yadija's grandmother to her. And it's like, when you start reading this story, you know, again, it's a little otherworldly. You kind of think like, what? <laughs> what is she talking about there? What's that about? But that is, for us in the Caribbean, that is real. And it, it was magical, but it was, it was real. And I could identify with it. I also loved the narrative voice and the fact that it was a Trini voice. Like the music of the narrative voice was you know was refreshing for me it was kind of like this is like somebody that I know mm -hmm. sitting down and telling me this story yeah. you know and that there was something very um familiar and very warm and very comforting about that so I love that I loved also the 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 way that it dealt with death and our relationship to death and you know, I couldn't have known it at the time, but sometimes in my life, I feel as if the books that I read, often quite by chance, kind of almost prepare me in a way. And it's fiction that, I, that I'm reading usually, but it prepares me um, for things that I experience in real life after. Mm -hmm. Strange as that may sound. Um, and I love the fact that one character is kind of running away from death. Your DJ doesn't, she doesn't want this gift that the women in her family have. And Darwin is kind of running towards death. He's down on his luck. He decides to take a job in a in a cemetery, what we would call, you know, we say as a grave graveyard in the Caribbean. And we kind of, we look at that a little sort of side eye, you know, that's not, not, a, not a great job. And yeah. especially for him as a Rastafarian, a member of the Rastafarian community, that is like a no, no. Mm -hmm. um, so he's running towards death 
in one sense. She's running away from it. Mm -hmm. Um, They collide and the outcome for me is beautiful. Mm -hmm. It really is beautiful. And there's a great lesson in this story about death and what it what it should mean for us because Mm -hmm. on another level on a connotative level these characters die to who they were Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the story and they become something else by its end so death is sort of portrayed as just a stage and how these characters deal with death and deal with who they become afterwards is really inspirational for me so it was this was just a very sort of lush um lyrical caribbean story about a huge theme and i thought it was it was wonderfully told so that was that was why i loved when we were birds i mean i don't think anyone can can top that <laughs> that <laughs> yeah that commentary of the book <laughs> that's all we've got time for today <laughs> But you I know, can't top that explanation. It's and no, um, it's like, yeah, I just. <laughs> I just this was one of the again I mean I read some fantastic books over the past year but this is like when I read this book there were points at the book I actually like I don't like to admit this but I put like a little dog ear because what was on that page was so moving and so profound or Mm. so lyrical it's like I just I just had to put a little dog ear and go back and read it again you know like and I'm I'm so glad you said that because uh I do the exact same and Lydia hates it (laughs) yay for us I do do that I know that you know everybody says you shouldn't dog it but it, it's like I need to be able to come out and find that page and have that experience again or sometimes you read something on a page and it's so profound it's like you get a meaning but you know you have to go back to it and you get something else and it, it sort of unravels over time yeah. in the mind so this is one of those books to me for sure and the cover is beautiful oh my that gosh helps. the cover the cover, <laughs> the cover I just gorgeous. get it out yeah, you like, got it. yeah it's yeah beautiful beautiful cover yeah. just yeah and I am a very cover oriented reader I will be drawn yeah. to a cover and I saw that and I was like okay need this yeah book. <laughs> and I'm, I, you know I'm so pleased that you that you chose it and I think what you were saying about you know the story being told through this dialect like I think um that is you know a really important important aspect of it because mm-hmm. I feel like that yeah. makes the world even more vivid um yes you know through which we see these characters and uh Lydia's got all of this to look forward to because Lydia's not read it yet and I'm going to be past doing it to read it <laughs> it's my turn now <laughs> it's true yeah, it's true. yeah. Um, this is one of those you know I often wonder though one of the things I wanted to ask was whether you know how if if you if you haven't sort of experienced or heard um a Trinidadian person Mm -hmm. speak before I wondered how somebody from another part of the world would would sort of get into that that lilt that Mm. sort of music but I just felt she did such a wonderful job of bringing that across I really felt like somebody like I said somebody was sort of giving me a warm hug and telling me this story Mm -hmm. sort of down road you know in in that voice and in that language that I understand so I hope it was as 
wonderful for readers who are not from the Caribbean absolutely as it was, yeah. yeah I mean you know when I first started reading it I was a little like oh like this is the dialect that we're going into but I, yeah. like I said I think it you know it makes it makes this world even more vivid um because mm-hmm. you you can hit it's like you can hear the characters even more yes. as soon as you get yes. it yeah you got it haven't you and I think yeah. did it do it in Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Everesta yeah she had there was uh, characters yeah, had yeah. yeah and and I and yeah. I think even with that as well, like that paints these characters mm-hmm. to you, you know, and it makes them really, they become bold and they become, I don't know, I, I felt like it immersed me in this world. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. a very immersive style, isn't it? Yeah, I found that with the the girl with the loud new voice. Oh, like, yeah. I'm sorry, that, that, that book is yeah. absolutely fantastic in mm-hmm. terms of a voice. You know, mm. this, and it's, it's so you can hear her speaking, mm-hmm. you yes. know, yes. and you can yeah. hear her t- telling you the story. It's like an audio book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, yes. yes. While you're reading it, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I love books like that. Yeah. yeah, and I think you know you described Piranesi earlier as genre defying, but I think When We Were Birds is definitely genre defying, and it's, yeah. I, I don't understand how it's a debut. It's it's incredible, <laughs> so accomplished, so accomplished. I you know, and that was another one because you kind of when you read that that folk tale, that myth at the beginning, that sort of story passed down from one generation to the other, you might kind of think, okay, is this magical? realism is Mm -hmm. this you know but by the time you get into this novel this is a very real story and Mm -hmm. I love how it sort of it it merges the otherworldly and the very realistic day-to-day Caribbean mm-hmm. existence. And it's like, it's two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I think it does so well. You kind of feel as if, you know, the, these two things go hand in hand. And that really is what it's like for me as a Caribbean person. There is this sort of magical aspect mm-hmm. to life here. And there's this very sort of gritty, realistic aspect. And the two go hand in hand. So mm. she does that really well. Absolutely. Yeah. But do you, do you feel that there's a, a hunger for, for these stories now? Like, do you feel there's a bigger hunger for yes. it? Yeah. Yeah, I think there is. I think, you know, we've had so many wonderful storytellers from the Caribbean present their stories from the Caribbean perspective, through that lens of being from this part of the world. And that's been happening for years and years, but somehow I feel as if we're now really coming into our own, even in terms of the voice, the narrative voice in which these stories are told is so clearly our own. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like, you know, this is this is the time people are, are approaching this world and this perspective with an open mind and you know being able to be immersed in what it's like to live here or to be from here Um, and I think that's wonderful I didn't really feel that as much you know when I was say you know a 13 year old girl but definitely I think there is that openness to to different perspectives now and that is so wonderful to see yeah absolutely and I've noticed that there's there's 
the common themes in the books you've picked and in your own work and um, particularly yeah. I found around um around the juxtaposition of of death and survival um yeah, and how yes. they seem to be very very present within quite a few choices and, yeah. and within your novel itself and um, what draws you to those subjects um well everything I mean, you're asking <laughs> questions today that are just you know they're so there's so incisive and I just have to kind of I don't know I think I'm just I have always been fascinated by duality mm-hmm. and I just feel as if you know I I always kind of have this perspective of you know like oh say Barbados I'm looking at Barbados at, as this beautiful wonderful island in the Caribbean and lots of visitors come here and it's about the rum punch and it's about, you know, like I said, the sand and the sunshine and so on. And there's this other aspect of Barbados as well. And I'm fascinated by that. Which aspect people see often depends on who they are and what they bring to the experience. And that's true even of human beings, mm-hmm. you know, who we are. We're all, there's the wonderful side that that we all have. And then maybe they're the sides that are not that wonderful. And it's sort of like, so can we acknowledge all of who we are? Can we acknowledge all of a particular place, of a person, of an idea, of a perspective. I'm fascinated by that. And it, you know, it's something that comes up again and again in my work. So it's perhaps not surprising that (laughs) that these stories that I've chosen do that as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them explore dark subject matter, for example, but they do it in beautiful, full prose mm. they're beautifully written stories you just yeah. the language sings mm. is gorgeous to look at and to read out loud but what it's talking about is like it's hard to wrap yeah. you know wrap your mind around yeah. um and somebody I grew up reading Toni Morrison mm. for example and she's somebody who does who does that extremely well yeah. so you know her language and the words that she chooses and the way she puts words together it's just so beautiful but this subject matter is like so dark at Mm. times and it's kind of that's fascinating Mm. for me so yeah not surprising that those are the stories that that sort of piqued my interest Mm -hmm. and also that's something that I explore in my own writing yeah yeah oh god I love Toni Morrison yeah um who doesn't i know yeah true true (laughs) so when we were birds um what one thing that i loved about this book was the sort of unconventional love story that's at the Mm -hmm. heart of it and Mm -hmm. you know as we were saying before we were speaking about it being sort of genre defying but you know how did you feel that the book kind of played with these romance tropes Mm-hmm. That is one of the things that I particularly loved about it. One of the things I love about DJ and Darwin is, you know, DJ comes from a line of women who they are the leaders in the family. You know, you kind of get the impression that this is really a sort of matriarchal um, family setup. Mm-hmm. And the men are very supportive mm. and it's like a totally so for me I'm fascinated by gender and gender performance and how we how we act out um 
gender and sexuality in the Caribbean and in our fiction. And what that's one of the things that I really loved about this book, the way that those roles, I think, Ayana sort of plays with that a little bit. And I loved that. And also, I think this was a story that didn't go down the usual romance mm-hmm. line. It wasn't kind of, you know, they met and they fell in love and there was a huge fight or there was sort of somebody else maybe who was a possible love interest. The conflict wasn't that way. The conflict really for these characters was um, within. It was internal to each of them Mm -hmm. and they sort of helped each other to resolve it. And that was, for me, was unusual. That made it an unusual love story. So yeah, those were, I loved how how she did that. I thought that was yeah. Me too. And I mean, like I said before, that um I've got I had a bias prior to reading Piranesi against like the fantasy genre. And I know there's a lot of romance lovers out there, don't come for me, but romance isn't a genre that I gravitate towards either. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless it's slotted into like a contemporary fiction novel, like it's yeah. not something as a particular genre I would go for. So I'm always fascinated mm-hmm. with um it being played with in, yeah. in other genres. So yeah. your yeah. <laughs> your third choice was am I gonna get this whole thing right? <clears throat> a long time important artifacts and personal oh, property <laughs> from the collection of Lenore Dolan and Harold <laughs> Morris including books street fashion and jewellery by Leanne Shapton now we were so intrigued by the title of this book and we're gutted because we couldn't yes. get hold of it so can you tell us more about oh. this book Oh, this book. I came across this book in 2013 while I was studying for my Emmy in writing at Sheffield Hallam University. This book is another one of those that just changed my life. Um, so this book is a novel. It's, it's just, it's so innovative in terms of the novel form. Mm-hmm. And it's a love story told in the form of an auction catalog. I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and basically, so basically it tells the love story of Lenore Doolan and Harold Morris from the time they meet until even after um, they break up. And what's fascinating for me is the characterization and how Shapton accomplishes that characterization without having the luxury of a lot of words to do it in. So, and she doesn't have um, dialogue, for example. It's not, or, well, she has very little dialogue that she can play with. It's really kind of notes on a napkin and it's a postcard and it's a gift and it's a letter that was sent and photographs and still, you know, every nuance of these two characters, of their personalities and how they interact in this love affair is beautifully rendered on the page. I could not put this book down. It was the book that sort of, first of all, told me that it was okay to have a very long title. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I kind of struggled with that at first, but the title is perfect mm-hmm. for the novel and it almost plays with the form in that. In a way, it's almost as if there are more words in the title than they are in the novel. Yeah. <laughs> 
up. So I found that interesting, fascinating as well. So that's the first thing I got from it. But then also, how can you sort of um, fully realize and fully portray authentic characters with very few words there's an economy of language and she's writing as much with the spaces Mm -hmm. right with with the lack of words Mm -hmm. as she is with what she's able to get down on the page both in terms of the photographs and in terms of like the captions in the auction catalog I found this book fascinating so it really like I said it's a love story in the form of an auction catalog it's about this relationship between a photographer and this woman who works a younger woman who works for the the New York Times I think it was and they have this there's this great love story they meet at this Halloween party you can almost just see how they're just like drawn to each other Um, and they go through all the stages that we all do so part of the auction catalog for example is she's getting ready for a date with Harold and she's trying on all these different outfits and her friend who's a fashion stylist is there to advise her about what (laughs) to wear and we don't hear and this is the thing because we aren't told all of that but what we see in this particular lot in the auction catalog is this snapshots of each outfit taken mm-hmm. by this friend who's a fashion stylist before the date and straight away we get it you know yeah, we get it yeah. we've all been there um and there's this friend who has more fashion sense and it's kind of saying well yeah that one not that one <laughs> yes you know whatever we've all been there and it, it kind of makes that character come alive in all her vulnerability, her desire to be loved. I mean, there is, over the course of the relationship, I think we get to the point where she starts to realize some things that perhaps we could see a little bit at the beginning. We can see how self-absorbed Harold is, how he sort of prioritizes his own career over and maybe looks at at hers as less important. We see all the things that she does to please him. And we see that slight shift where she sort of begins to claim that self back. And, you know, it's it was so familiar for me. And what I found fascinating was that Leanne Shapton wasn't writing this down. It was all through the auction catalog, through the snapshots, through the notes on a napkin, through the gifts that they gave to each other at Christmas and what that said about the characters. I loved, loved, loved this book. It's a quick read for those of us who might not have a whole set of time, but again, really a really moving story I love that it sounds incredible (laughs) (laughs) absolutely incredible so I mean the the format itself sounds just fascinating like an auction catalogue is just absolutely bonkers but brilliant (laughs) at the same time Um, what was that like as a reading experience for you I think when I sort of it was it was on my reading list like I said and when I kind of opened it and I saw the the photographs and just the little captions underneath I thought hmm? <laughs> like it was like mind-blowing I thought okay what it did I think was heightened my my curiosity mm-hmm. not only about the book itself but about the story of the love between these two characters I mean and that was interesting for me at first was almost to overread it yeah you know what I mean so like 
you kind of look at these photos and you look for significance in all sorts of things. She gives him the words, the tiles to spell thank you from a Scrabble board. That's one of the <laughs> gifts she gives after they have this wonderful experience. And she gives him just the tile spelling thank you. And he spells three different sort of phrases, which when I read them, I thought, oh, they say a lot about him. I think, I can't remember. One of them was something like hunk something. <laughs> and, you know, he's very self-absorbed. So when I saw that, I thought, oh yeah, that's why he would spell those words. What the effect that that has on the reader at least the effect that it had on me was I felt like I was participating in telling this story yeah I felt that there was enough space there for me to fully engage and to make that story something that I could identify with and I could understand and I wanted to work through in my mind so I you know I think there's the it, it heightened curiosity for me and I think that made for an out of this world reading experience mm -hmm. because I really approach that that text with you know sort of like a magnifying glass yeah as I read it was like okay what is what does this mean like mm. does this mean something in the context of this story but beautiful beautiful and again so relatable I mean who hasn't done the things that these characters have done who hasn't sort of dressed up for the day and couldn't decide what to wear who hasn't you know sort of reached out tentatively when you're not quite sure if the other person loves you as much as you think you love them and you're kind of trying to couch the interaction like okay well I'm interested but I'm not a psychopath or a stalker <laughs> but do you feel the same way yeah you know, there, was, <laughs> there was definitely um there was definitely that for me at the beginning so again unforgettable experience reading experience or or just experience of this story I mean when we when we saw that when you sent across the four titles and I read this one we were like this is so rogue is this like a non-fiction is it an actual auction catalogue like what <laughs> and then we read on it read up on it and we were like oh it's actually a novel like that's so clever the way yeah. that she's played with that because yeah. you, you do read that title and automatically have this preconceived idea of what it actually is yeah um and I mean you know yeah. I read yeah, yeah, and I read online about it that there's sort of a, somebody said there's a, a voyeuristic pleasure in sifting through the photos of these objects. And I mean, did you get yes. a sense of that? Like, oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> you know, this is like I, like, I had this experience of this acquaintance of mine got married and and when I say acquaintance it's not somebody that I was like a close friend with I didn't go to the wedding or anything mm -hmm. but she brought the pictures into the place that um I was working to show to somebody else and I was just there like yeah I want to see the pictures yeah. like, I really <laughs> you know my my how I had her pictured in my mind it was almost like there was this sense of wanting to see whether the photos of the wedding would um would match mm -hmm. yeah. the photos that I had in my mind yeah. and it also gives you the opportunity to sort of have this little glimpse and be able to say yeah so that happened to her too and it is partially because it looks like it's real when you read mm. this book you think this is an actual love story between two actual people and things went wrong and straight yeah. away you think you think of the one you know for me that went wrong and I kind of want to look at those 
pictures and see if, you know, like she had some of the same steps and experiences. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so your final choice for top of your TBR is what storm, what, thin, what thunder. I'm going to, I'm going to go and say that again, because I just I butchered was, that. I'm sorry. That was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> was what storm, what thunder by Miriam J.A. Chansey. What did you love about this book? Oh my gosh. Again, this was one of those books where um, the author writes so beautifully about such a tragic mm-hmm. and horrific event. And it was like there were there were parts of this novel where I couldn't look away mm-hmm. you know when when an author is writing about something that's really difficult and you kind of want to just look away from it because it's so heart-wrenching or it's 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 so difficult to deal with but you just can't look away this is one of those books for me so it's 10 interlinked short stories it's a novel in short stories that's how I would categorize it about an earthquake that took place in Haiti in January 2010 And it's 10 stories from the perspectives of 10 people impacted by this earthquake. And the earthquake is ironically called dues, which um, in in Creole means sort of sweet, um, a sweet thing, but really isn't. What I found difficult to deal with was the suffering that these characters endure. But again, this this novel was really about the the triumph of the human spirit um, and about the intrinsic resilience of these people, of the Haitian people. I mean, Haiti has suffered so much in so many ways for such a long time. And this book was almost like you know, an elegy. It was, it was, you know, an ode to to how resilient and how triumphant Haitians are as as a people. Yeah, and some of the stories here were just so so moving. I mean, I I actually teared up when reading some of these stories. So this was. This was one of those books that will stay with me for the rest of my life. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, for me too. I think it was it was so incredibly moving. Um, particularly yeah. there are there are characters in it who have lost people that are very close to them, lost children, lost family members. Are sort of um, find it so difficult to process that loss yes. in the wake of the devastation of everything yes. that happened. Yeah, and I felt yeah. like it that was explored so well that kind of you know having to deal with grief is a difficult thing anyway but in those circumstances when everything is destroyed around you as well um, yeah I thought it was such an important story to tell Um, and again I think it it doesn't shy away from those darker traumatic events those that darker side of of these tragedies why do you think that the the novel did that so well because I really I really believe that it just tackled all of those difficult horrific things with such a, a kind of light hand, you know, yes. you, felt, you felt very safe the whole way through because, yes. I don't know, it felt like you were being taken on this journey and you were being introduced mm-hmm. to all these characters and mm-hmm. it was felt very much like a learning experience mm-hmm. despite the fact that it was fiction, obviously, but it felt mm-hmm. very, very realistic. So um, 
like why do you think the novel did this so well 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 the first thing I think is exactly what you said that it was very subtly rendered Mm. there was a very light touch in in dealing with devastation and tragedy and I think that was particularly well done in this book because you know, a tragedy of this magnitude, an earthquake, is difficult to deal with because devastation is all around for, for these characters. So, you know, even for me personally, when when dealing with, with grief um, or a loss, it helps to have, a, I don't want to say a north point, but it helps to have things around be familiar yeah. and to be normal and to be as they were before. Before the tragedy happened, before this big life-changing event happened. And I think that is a luxury that these characters do not have. And I think what the author does is she just gives a very light touch. Because the stories are interlinked, we also get warnings. So when we are, the first story is um, Malu, I think it is, the market, the, the market vendor, the woman in the market. And we hear a little bit about this woman who has lost not only her twin girls, but also her son. So all three children are lost. And there is that warning. And you get it from the perspective of a bystander. She's also suffered, but you, you she sort of starts to put things into perspective. So by the time that we get the children in, in awful awful circumstances not just the fact of the earthquake but how the children actually die and I mean the death of a child and I know this even from my own novel is something that is is really hard to deal with in fiction to to write well um but she gives us a warning she gives us some perspective and therefore when she actually plunges us into this almost disassociative state that that mother goes through, we have a North Point. Mm -hmm. It isn't what we would normally have, what somebody grieving would normally have. So nothing is normal, but we have somebody who has sort of set some context and told us the the quote unquote reality of what Mm -hmm. happened. And that's something that I think is really successful as well in dealing with this difficult topic to have these these different perspectives and to get those warnings, a very light touch in how she does the book and just beautiful lyrical language that's that's hard to, to turn away from. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I've I've not read it yet, but you've been it's it sounds so like powerful so obviously you were both um speaking about um the way the authors handled certain topics in the book um and like you said you know it handles a a real life event you know a tragic real life event and i guess it it must be really difficult for an author to write a a a real life event like that because there's so much devastation and you know you will have to really tread carefully about the way it's handled but like how did you feel this author tackled that so well Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think she does really well is um, 
portray the triumph of the human spirit. Mm-hmm. And also, I believe um, she she gives us a sense of um, good winning over evil. But I, you know, I hesitate even to use those terms because there the way that she writes about that earthquake, there there is nothing evil necessarily about it. Evil suggests an intent, but it's it's very clear that the people in this book are at the the almost at the whim of nature. So this is a natural disaster. This is something that cannot be avoided. It can only be endured. And what allows these characters to transcend is not the tragedy of the the event, but the humanity of their response to it. And again, I, I keep saying it's hard to talk about good and evil because there is, for example, a character in this novel who collects water. You know, people are suffering this 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 event, this earthquake. Nothing is the same. There's all this devastation. There's this suffering. And people are sharing water and they are sharing necessities. And the woman who has lost her children and seems to be losing her mind as well is cared for by a family of sorts that isn't the family that she would have had prior to this event, prior to the earthquake. So people are thrown together in difficult circumstances and their humanity is what stands out. It is how they care for each other, even to the extent of there's a part of the of the book where um, a character is. Um, is killed essentially um, because of the level of their suffering. It's clear that they will not be able to survive it, and therefore, death in that context is a is a kind of a mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody is willing to extend that mercy. So when when normally, if you read something like that, you'd be like, "Oh my gosh, that's horrible! How could they?" But the way that the author um, writes it is so clear that this is a kind. So people's ability to be kind and to be considerate and to put others before self and to think about the survival of the collective as opposed to, you know, just any benefits that that the individual can derive. I mean, there are some characters like that in the book. Um, And those are dealt with, I think, in a very satisfying way. They either are redeemed in some way by the end of the novel or they're done away with it, which I like, you know, it's kind of reassuring. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's reassuring like, because this is this is something that we can't even fathom this kind of of tragedy this kind of natural disaster we can't even think about what we would do in those circumstances and it is a little bit of a comfort to see that sort of triumph of the human spirit and to see that um that humanity in approach and to see that community and to see that consideration mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is it is very difficult subject matter, but I think that that is one of the things that allows us to get through it, mm-hmm. the way that, that we sort of pull together and help each other in those circumstances. And what a lovely note to end on. I know. It's all different. <laughs> I mean, 
That's all she wrote. Some <laughs> incredible recommendations. Fantastic yeah. recommendations. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you thought so. Um, <laughs> to read the books that have changed me, all of them, mm-hmm. walked into them, one version of myself, and came out a different version and so much better for the experience. So I hope that people who listen to the podcast and read these books have that experience and come away, you know, feeling as if they were changed and uplifted and they have a lot to think about at the I'm end sure of that they experience. Will. I'm sure they will. They're better. <laughs> and we've got many chances now. <laughs> so what we like to uh, end on is again just to make sure we've got as many recommendations out of you as is humanly Mm -hmm. possible Mm -hmm. is um to ask you about any authors or novels that have inspired you you or your work as well as the ones we've spoken about of course (laughs) there are so many I mean how much time do we have again (laughs) (laughs) but I can I can um I can talk about some mostly from you know the period when I was kind of I think beginning to come into my own as a writer and recognize that this was something that um was a calling for me and something that would stay with me for the rest of my life so the one book that I think really um stays with me even up to now is by a Trinidadian author called Earl Lovelace and the name of that book is The Wine of Astonishment um and it's about uh, what we call the what well, what they call in Trinidad the shelter Baptists. We call them the spiritual Baptists. It's a particular type of religion, and they worship in a particular way. They ring bells, they sing a lot, and so on. Um, but I love that. I love that novel. So I'm not going to go into it too much. I'll just say that that is you know top of top of the books that shaped my life and and even my my style and as a writer so the wine of astonishment by earl lovelace um tony morrison mm-hmm. of course <laughs> um the bluest eye um song of solomon oh gosh there's so many um Alice Walker, The Color Purple, Olive Senior, Caribbean writer again, Summer Lightning and other stories, Jamaica Kincaid, Annie John, um, uh, what else? Claude McKay, Banana Bottom, um, My Antonia, Thomas Hardy. There's so many books. <laughs> I could just go on and on. I love The Chrysalis, John Wyndham. <laughs> But those are some of the books that I remember reading and just, um, again, they stay with me and I go back to them from time to time. I'll read them over at different points of my life and always, always get something new, Mm -hmm. something new from, from those texts. So yeah, those are some of the books for me. Right, nice. no one can accuse us of not getting enough recommendations today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. finally, we have um, we do have another recommendation. Oh yeah, which but... is uh, is there anything that you've been enjoying recently that you would like to recommend? Any cultural recommendations oh, for us? Wow. Um, what have I been? Re- well, there was the one that I told you about recently. I've been doing quite a bit of writing. And I tend to read a little less when I'm in a writing phase. Mm -hmm. But I read this book called Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl while I was in Iowa. Um, And that book had a pretty profound impact 
on, you know, my understanding of, you know, a part of history. Um, I actually had some some issues with the way that the book was written, but I think it's a fascinating study of, it's, it's put across as a firsthand account of slavery from the perspective of a slave girl, you know, during that aspect of Caribbean, um, of, well, of history, not the Caribbean, because it wasn't, it's not based in the Caribbean, but that was a very interesting book for me, very moving Um I do have some issues with it, but we're not in a quarrel about that, no. <laughs> so that is something that I read recently that I think everybody should read. Yes. yes. And that, um, I have just noticed that we've gone way over time. So, uh, <laughs> we're, so long. we're sorry. We're sorry, oh, but we're also okay. not because we've loved talking to you. This was amazing. I love talking to you too. Thank you so much for your patience and oh, for, you know, wow. giving me a little time. I really... I needed it and you know I am just so glad that we actually got the chance to oh, yeah, talk me and too. To and, about these books. and thank you for all your wonderful recommendations I mean is there anything we obviously wax lyrical at the start about your amazing debut but is there anything that we've got to look forward to with you oh yes um <laughs> I've been working on this book um called Nib so I've gone the, the, you know, 180 degrees in the opposite direction from a very long title to a very <laughs> short one. I don't know if that's what will, what will, you know, will be the title um, on publication, but I'm writing this coming of age story about a 13 year old girl called Nib who lives on a cocoa plantation and is actually very much influenced by a trans woman um, in the post-emancipation period in the Caribbean. So yeah. for me, that was that was just the story that came to me, and I found it um, challenging in one sense to try to do that research and get that information um, about that that period of our history, but also about, you know, about trans women within that context, because, you know, like every other type of human being um, that we have now, they've existed at all periods of time, but, you know, the, in, in some ways, they're just not represented. We're not represented. Some women are not represented in certain parts of history so it's a coming of age story 13 year old girl called Nib living on a cocoa plantation post-emancipation period and I hope that people will enjoy it as much of, as I've enjoyed writing about these characters who are still in my head so that's that's what's happening oh we're so excited <laughs> so excited you have no idea <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, have to promise us that you'll come back and tell us all about it when it's coming out. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think you realize now how much I can talk. So oh, yeah, we love that. <laughs> Once you'll have me, I'm there. Absolutely. absolutely. Yes, please come back. Listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, please do rate, review, and subscribe as it helps to boost us in the chart. Um, we will be putting a link in the show notes to um, Sherry's wonderful book. If you've not read it yet, what are you doing? Click the link, get it bought, get Seriously, reading. Guys, Come on. Careful now because I'm going to get angry. <laughs> and you don't want that. <laughs> but yes. You don't want that. No. <laughs> um, 
really don't. Thank you so much, Sheree. This has honestly been amazing. Oh, um, yeah, this has been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, goodbye. Goodbye.